Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person, or you're thinking about becoming one, this show is just for you. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. I'm a crazy entrepreneur myself, and I've counseled lots of startups and small businesses over the past 30 years, and I have seen so many mistakes, and I have made a lot of them myself. The show really has two goals. First, to share helpful information and resources so that you won't make some of those same mistakes that I've seen or that I've made myself. The second goal is to inspire. I found being an entrepreneur often is frankly lonely. It's confusing, discouraging. Sometimes you have no idea if you're on the right track or not. So to help with both those goals, I have guests on my show every week who are willing to share their stories and advice. And my guest this week is Anna Maria VT Welch. She is an insurance broker who has been in the business. Well, her company has been in the business for 85 years. She told me they just celebrated their 85th anniversary. She is a third generation in the family business, and she's here to talk about all things insurance. Not a sexy topic, but one thing. <laughs> in my experience, all too many entrepreneurs and small business people either don't think about soon enough until it's too late, or maybe don't spend enough time thinking about. So Anna Maria, thanks for coming on the show this week. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Talk about your business and what you do. You know, we're a full service agency and uh, that means we can help individuals as well as businesses with any type of insurance needs. My particular expertise is helping businesses with workman's comp and cyber and general liability, product liability. And I'm sure people listen to those terms and, and their eyes are already starting to glaze over. So hang in there, folks. We're going to try to make this very manageable. Talk about the kind of clients that you serve. Are they big companies? Are they little companies? All of the above? We can help businesses that are startup, which have $3,000 in revenue up to about $50 million. So yeah. we're all over the gamut. You mentioned you even have a small business unit that really focuses on small businesses and startups, right? Yes, we do. Um, I work with a lot of the resource incubator accelerators in the Chicagoland area and now even in Wisconsin, and we help consult. We try to really help these entrepreneurs understand what they might need and again, everybody needs to know that you don't need to purchase everything. You can always add on at any time. We also understand that people are cash strapped. Yep. But that's not a reason to not focus on insurance. So, you know, it might be useful just to start out talking about what's the purpose of insurance? Why do we have insurance? Why do we need it in general? Protection, obviously. But a lot of people don't understand that if you get sued, you're going to have to hire an attorney for $500 to $800 an hour, even if it's not true. A lot of policies that have liability in their name, I'm going to say, and one like general liability, professional liability, cyber liability. And if you get sued, 
most of the time these companies are going to be able to protect you. And what I mean by that is they uh, provide you an attorney, which helps with um, the fines, the fees, and even the settlements up to the limit that you have on your policy. You know, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, obviously we have homeowners insurance because if there's a fire or a flood in our house, the insurance company takes care of it. But I don't think people always think about the what if, not necessarily anything happens to you, but something happens maybe to someone else and they blame you for it. And that's the piece I think you're talking about. Right. I really wanted you to come on the show to talk about this topic. And I know folks are like, oh, insurance, ooh. <laughs> Boring, boring, boring. Right. <laughs> kind of like legal stuff, right? It's all very boring, but kind of important. One of the things that I've seen throughout my 30 years of working with small businesses is a lot of people out there have this misconception maybe that their homeowner's insurance is kind of like this giant umbrella that covers their business too. Is that a good assumption? Is that a bad assumption? Well, we know a lot of people are working out of their home. They don't have leases. They don't have brick and mortar. And the personal homeowner's policy only wants to insure for personal use. So um, if somebody trips and falls, or let's say you're cooking and they get sick or claim they're sick or allergic to your product that you're selling and you're doing it out of your home, your homeowner's liability is not going to cover that. I'm guessing that if you have a computer in your home and use it for business purposes and it gets hacked, your homeowner's insurance probably isn't going to cover data privacy breaches of your customer's personal information or anything like that, right? Right. You know, it is a law for a business to protect their client's personal information. And we know no one can do that, not even the government. No, isn't that so true? You know, there's a very small amount that people can purchase just to have some type of protection for cyber liability. What are some of the biggest misconceptions you've seen over the years? Well, first of all, people look at price first and uh, insurance products are not like going and purchasing a car, going from place to place. There's a <laughs> lot of moving parts. And a lot of times when I do reviews on current policies, they're not even covered for what they need to be covered for. For instance, a tech company, they yeah. might have an office policy, but because it was $400 a year, they took it. But general liability is not going to help a tech company. They need cyber liability and maybe tech E&O. You really want to look and see what it covers, what are the exclusions before you look at the pricing. Yeah, it's kind of like, I, my analogy is like buying travel insurance. I don't know if any of the rest of you out there have had this experience, but I bought travel insurance a couple of times and I have had at least two situations where I was like, oh good, I bought travel insurance. And they were like, oh, no, sorry, doesn't cover that. And that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Yes. A lot of people think that insurance covers everything and it doesn't. Yeah. And that's where a good broker will help. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think it would be helpful just to untangle 
some of the various kinds of insurance without getting people's eyes glazed over too much, just to talk about the very basic buckets of insurance and kinds of things you might want to think about and the kinds of businesses or situations where it could be relevant. I think most people's where they probably gravitate to immediately first is property or casualty insurance. So talk about that. Well, you know, I'll tell you, it's kind of broad, but you really need to, when you're speaking to a broker, that you really need for them to really dive deep on what you're really doing. Um, I think that's the biggest issue here. And I know a lot of people go online and just pick a couple things, but (laughs) I will let you know that there's general liability, there's cyber liability. There's workman's comp and people think that, oh, I have 1099s. I don't have any W-2s. It doesn't matter. It is a law to have workman's comp if you have W-2 employees, whether you're paying them cash, part-time, full-time, and 1099. And that's a really important point you just made, I think, Anna Maria, because a lot of small businesses and startups are outsourcing a lot of things as they get started. So they do have 1099s or contractors, right? And do you need workers' comp for contractors? Or Uh, Yes. You can also ask them if they have their own insurance, which I think they should. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, they work for five different people. Well, if something happens and they get sued while they're working for you, or let's say they're driving their car and get in an accident while they're working for you, workman's comp is going to cover that. And if they don't, you don't have workman's comp, they don't have workman's comp, you're going to be paying the benefits that a workman's comp insurance company is going to pay them. And, you know, the challenge with that is you've touched on a lot bigger issue, which is the whole gig economy and how it's treated. I mean, I did some gigging for a while and it was interesting because I would go to the company and say, here's the rate. And they'd be like, well, no, but see, we could hire somebody on an annual basis for this salary. So this is the hourly rate. And I would try to argue with them and say, look, that's the salary. But the benefits, including things like workers comp, are another 25 or 30 percent. You got to tack that on. And companies don't want to think about that because it's a way to get employees without basically paying benefits. (laughs) You know, so the 1099 person gets kind of squeezed in there, but that's a whole separate set of issues. I don't want to get too far off in the weeds talking about that, but it's an issue. Right. But again, you really want to do, again, the right thing, because you never, you know, you're not in control of what can happen, especially when someone else is working for you like that. Right. And I mean, you know, you could argue that being in the gig economy, your business is gigging to other people. And as a result, even if you are the gigger, you need to think about the insurance you need to have because that's your business, arguably. Right. What about auto insurance? You know, one of the misconceptions I've seen is people think, yeah, I deduct some of the mileage for business, but I've already got auto insurance. I don't need auto insurance, right? Well, I will let you know that if you're using your auto in business, people don't realize that if you're a Uber driver or if you're delivering different products, food, 
or if you're driving around other people, there are exclusions in some of these personal auto policies. If the personal auto policy company knew you were doing those things, they probably would not be covering you. Give an example of what could happen. Well, they could deny your claim. So in other words, if I take somebody who's a who's a client and we go to lunch and we take my car, mm -hmm. is that business or is that probably? It's not really. I'm talking about like, let's say you have a service that you're taking uh, people or, you know, you're delivering kids to school. That's what I'm saying. But, yeah. taking, you know, a client that is not. But I'm deducting the miles as a business expense. Does that make any difference? No. As I'm taking my client to lunch? No, it does not. Yeah. Not in insurance purposes. Well, that's good. I know there's something called business interruption. Yes. And that has helped. A couple of my clients had that when they had some disasters. You know, in one case, a tornado and another, a fire. It helped them a lot. Talk about what that is. You know, that's really for more when you are, I'm going to say, manufacturer, you're in the food business, you know, even retail. So let's say, um, like you were saying, you had a fire. Let's say you had a banquet hall and you had all these different, uh, you know, people relying on you for their parties and oh. liver. That's going to help you. But I will, and I like to tell everybody, because a lot of people don't realize this, that there is a time deductible on business interruption of when it starts. What does so that mean? Most of us want zero, of course. So let's say you have a restaurant and you have a fire and you, or everybody has to get out. Or let's say the lights go out or you know it, it's really warm out and the air conditioner goes out. And that depends on why, I have to say also. But Let's pretend you cannot continue serving your uh, clients. A lot of times these policies might start off kicking in after 72 hours, after 48 hours, or after 24 hours. Oh, so it's almost like a deductible, basically. Correct. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that. So if you do have business interruption or you're in that type of business, I would check. And if you have a 72-hour uh deductible, you can buy back and go down to 48 or 24 hours. Oh, that's interesting. Even zero. I know that. Yeah. Wow. All the little tricks you don't know. Another one that I hear people not talk about, and actually I had a discussion with a client not too long ago about DNO insurance, directors and officers insurance, where he basically said, well, it's all, it's all worthless. I don't see the need to have that. And yet, as directors of a company, you end up with potential personal liability unless the company you're a director for or an officer of has that insurance. So talk about that a little bit. Sure. That's one of the things when I do present, I do ask everybody, are you thinking of having an angel investor, any type of investor, invest in your company? And if you do, you are acting like the board of directors. And they must have invested because of a, a contract that you gave to them, promising them something like maybe 5% in five years. What if you breach that? They can sue you individually because you are acting as the board of directors. Let's say you go out of business. 
they can sue you individually. It's kind of like being on a non-for-profit board. If anybody is on a non-for-profit board, I would always make sure that they have directors and officers insurance or don't get on the board. Yeah. <laughs> sue you individually. That's a trend, I think, isn't it? Where there seems to be increasingly personal liability for for directors? Well, like I said, um, that's the only protection or policy that's going to cover you individually. I mean, they can go after your, you know, pay, your assets, pension, whatever you have, your home. That's a, a question I have with a lot of small businesses and startups. Talk to that investor. Maybe they will help you pay for part of it, or maybe they'll pay for the whole thing in your name. Because again, if you go out of business, who are they going to sue? So the well, policy I, will trigger, be triggered. Well, there's the investors, but also I've seen a number of small businesses have kind of like a board of advisors, they call them, or maybe even a board of directors. And I think part of it is because they give these titles to people who have made some kind of maybe a sweat equity contribution, mm -hmm. or it's a prestige thing to have certain people affiliated with your business. How does directors and officers insurance play into, into those kind of people? Well, again, I would never get on a board for any company unless they have directors and officers coverage. Because again, if you are going to be on the board, that means you are in charge of what go happens. Like look at these bank boards. Look at these companies that went under these banks. I'd be scared to death if I was a bank director right now. <laughs> Why? Tell well, because they are responsible for the demise or the failing of the bank. But they were just there giving advice. I mean, why they weren't making day-to-day -day decisions. Why would they be exposed? It doesn't matter. The board of directors are the ones, that's where the buck stops. They are supposed to be overseeing the business. Well, <laughs> that's yeah. not how a lot of business owners view their board of directors. I can tell you that. Right. Mm -hmm. And therein is kind of the rub, right? Yes. Another one that I see a lot of, and that's probably because I work with a lot of service businesses, is errors and omissions insurance. Talk about what that is. So that is for professionals. That is going to protect you if your client thinks that you didn't provide your service. So for instance, let's say you're consulting for their business. And let's say that they are done with you and their business doesn't do well. They can go and sue you because you did not do or tell them what they were, you know, you were going to do for them. There's a lot of consultants that don't have that error in emissions of professional because they never really thought about it. Oh, that's for sure they don't. And so why don't they think Very about it? Very expensive, depending on what you're doing. You know, interior decorators or consultants, anybody giving education or advising really needs to have professional liability or E&O, it's the same thing. So if you're sued, they're going to provide you an attorney and pay for the fees and fines and settlements up to the limit that you have in that policy. This is one where I think there's a lot of misconceptions in my experience. And maybe it's because that I have been in the professional services arena and a lot of my clients over the years have been in. But I think consultants have this 
in general, maybe this misconception that, hey, I'm doing the best I can. I did what I said I was going to do for you, or I did my best to try, but you know, you made it very difficult. And I, I think a lot of them just don't understand what can happen. If you have some examples or maybe a story or two, or just something to help those folks who are in professional services understand how that can come back to bite them. First of all, everybody has to remember anybody can sue for anything. So if you have a lawsuit, you're going to have to either get an attorney, like I said, for five to $800 an hour to, to protect you and try to throw it out, or you'll have your professional liability policy. Now, for instance, like my business for insurance agents, you call up and you say, hey, please um, add the car on. Let's say somebody got busy and forgot to add the car on, they got in an accident. Well, they're going to sue us, the insurance agent, because we forgot to put it on. Or let's say that we gave advice and said, this is what you're going to be covered for. This is what they thought they were going to be covered for. And they have some type of claim and they're not covered. Uh, That's really when that happens. And I will also tell you that a lot of times, the reason why uh, consultants get insurance is because they are being hired as a 1099 for a large corporation. Yeah. And in that contract, the insurance requirements ask them for professional liability because they don't want to use their own. Right. Well, and then there's other kinds of insurance that are maybe more specific to certain kinds of businesses, but maybe not. And one that comes to mind is cybersecurity. I mean, I don't know, maybe everybody needs to think about cybersecurity anymore. Yeah. So the question I ask everybody in business is, do you use your computer for your business? (laughs) I mean, everybody, most people do even if they're using it for their own financial QuickBooks. I mean, anybody can get hacked. Um, There's just ransomware where you open up your computer and they say, hey, give me $10,000 or I'm not going to give you back your information. That's something cyber can um, cover you for. But even if you purchase a small amount, it's better than not having anything. So how common is um, our our cybersecurity problems these days? There are quite a few, um, like I said, I mean, you hear it all the time with these big, big companies. Think about these small companies that don't have the protection like these big companies do. You could argue that they're not really the targets of hackers because they don't really have the money or the scope of data to be exposed. But maybe that's not a good assumption. It's not a good assumption. And like I said, I've heard that on the dark web for this ransomware software costs about $135. I had one non-for-profit get hit twice in one year because they gave them their money right away. And then they came back and hit them again because they were scared of their donors. We're going to, you know, sue them. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's not so very good. No. Well, I know there are other kinds of insurance and maybe some of them are more specific. Talk about some of those. 
Well, there are endorsements. Um, I'll talk, tell you about one, employment practices liability. That's really to protect the employer from the employee if they sue them for sexual harassment, wrongful termination, discrimination. And also it protects the employer if the client sues the employer because they said their employee supposedly sexually harassed them or discriminated against them. That's called employment practices liability. There's one other coverage called hired and non-owned auto that you can add on to the policy. And that protects you if you use your own car in business. And let's say you hurt the other person in the other car and maybe kill them or maim them or disable them. That attorney is not only going to sue you personally and your personal auto is going to cover you, but they're also going to sue your business. And if you don't have that hired and non-owned auto liability on your business policy, you're going to have to get your own attorney. Mm. And it's not very expensive. That's another thing. People think insurance is expensive. And a lot of times it's not. I deal with a lot of uh, companies in pharma, biotech, and medical devices. And an issue that comes up with them is that they have, when they're trying to sell their products, the customers want them to have product liability insurance. Mm -hmm. Talk about that kind of insurance. Yeah, so that's going to protect you if you get sued because your product, you know, somebody swallowed it, they got hurt on it. If you are liable or somebody claims you're liable, again, product liability. If somebody sues you because of your product, then they are going to be able to provide you an attorney and help you with the fines and settlements and fees. That also is included most of the time in that general liability policy. But if you have a medical device you're going to have to buy product liability on its own. Yeah. And that, I'm sad to say, is not cheap for those of you who might have a fledgling medical device out there. Are there any other kinds of insurance that we didn't touch on so far? So for a small business, you know, not really. I mean, there might be some endorsements that can be added on to your policy. For instance, crime. You know, if you have a lot of money, that you're taking or cash, which a lot of people don't, but, you know, there's crime coverage, there's employee dishonesty, employee theft. So there are a lot of extras that you get that are included in the policy. And I know that some people say, you know, I don't want all that. Well, a lot of times the insurance just gives it to you. Uh, um, a lot of times there are is fluff, I'm going to say in there, but again, there's not really for a small business that I can really, um, you know, talk about. But I do like to tell everybody, and most people don't know this, that in a contract or a lease, there are always insurance requirements. And people don't understand that. And you need to show your agent or share it with them. And you don't sign it because a lot of times there are a lot of coverages that are in there that an attorney was tried to protect the client and throw in there. I had many people that have signed it and have come to me and haven't even made money because it was so expensive to increase their, their policy because of the contract. I think that's a great point. You do need to look at any kind of contract or legal document that you sign for insurance requirements. 
a lot of times you just people just look at it and they go, okay, that's great. Sure, I got insurance. But you need to really look at what kind of coverage the landlord or the customer is insisting that you have. And if you're doing business with other small businesses, you may not see that as much. But certainly if your customers are big companies, they are going to trying to push all the risk onto you and off of them if they can. That's how their attorneys are wired up. I used to work for one of those big companies. I can tell you that's exactly how we thought about it. So you as a vendor working with these companies really need to look at what they'll say because there are things oftentimes in there where they'll say, and you'll provide a certificate of insurance to the client or to the landlord that says you have this coverage. What the heck does that mean, Anna Maria? Well, a certificate of insurance is proof of insurance. And us as agents, we probably provide 50 of those at least a day. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You shouldn't be charged for that service also. All it really is, is it's the same form, no matter what agent you go to, and it's showing what coverages you have. So usually, most of the time when you're going to be a tenant, that landlord will not let you in until they get a certificate of insurance. So you would call your agent and say, hey, this is the lease, first of all, please tell me what I need and what they're asking for and put it on this certificate. And then we send it out. Or take a look at what it's going to cost you to get it and decide, look at the total cost of whatever the deal is that you're looking at, whether it's a lease or whether it's a customer deal and figure out, as you alluded to, depending on what the cost of doing some of those things is, it may not be such an attractive deal as you originally thought. Right. And you can always go in and negotiate. You can always ask, I'll I'll give you an example. I had an architect that came to me with an unsigned contract. They wanted him to have a million dollars of cyber liability. Now, why? Oh my gosh. Right. So I said, go back and say, let's give them $50,000 of coverage. It'll probably cost you a hundred dollars a year, or let's ask them to waive it. Well, guess what? They waived it. Oh, Wow. If they didn't, it would have cost him thousands of dollars for nothing. You know, another thing I've seen on contracts, speaking of uh, agreements, is not only that they'll say in there, if you read it carefully, it'll say not only you provide a certificate of insurance, but with an additional endorsement as the company, the, the landlord or the customer as an additional named insured. Right. What does that mean? Well, that means that let's say you are a contractor and you have an electrician. Well, that contractor is going to say, okay, electrician, show me that you have insurance, workman's comp, general liability, but also add my name onto your general liability policy. And the reason why is because the general contractor is not going to be doing anything that has to do with electricity. So if something happens you know that the contractor and the electrician is going to get sued. Well, if that contractor's name is on the electrician's policies and additional insured, he can use his policy first, and then his policy will pick up if there's not enough insurance on the electricians. That Um, is all the time, most of the time now, that they want you to add 
their does name that, on it. Does that cost more? Um, a lot of times it doesn't. I mean, in the past it was sometimes $25 each time, but you could buy a blanket or a lot of times these companies are including it because it's, you know, it's so common nowadays. You mentioned endorsements and you mentioned them a couple of times. What is, the heck is an endorsement? You know, it's an add-on to your existing policy. Sometimes cyber liability is an endorsement. Endorse means change, either taking off or putting on. Mm-hmm. And does that usually cost? Well, it depends on what you're doing. Like you're adding a car, that's an endorsement. Yes. Taking the yeah. car off, you're going to get a credit. Adding coverage on, you're going to cost taking credit off, you know, excuse me, taking coverage off. You know, one other situation we have that a lot of my clients and I know a lot of my listeners are involved in that we haven't really touched on, and that is e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're selling from their website in some shape or form. Are there specific kinds of things that e-commerce companies need to think about? Yes, cyber liability. If you cannot afford anything else, you need to have cyber liability if you're e-commerce for sure. And one of the questions I ask them is what happens if your site goes down and you were hacked? Would you lose money? And of course they would. So that's business interruption you can get on cyber liability. Uh, you know how we were talking about for a retail store or a brick and mortar business interruption? You can also get that for cyber liability. How the heck do I know how much coverage I need? Yeah, I should probably have some insurance, but I I mean, I struggle with this with my own personal homeowner's insurance policy is, do I have enough? Because sometimes what you think you need is not what you really need. I'll just give an example. This is a personal example, but I, I, I had a fire, lightning struck our house, our house burned down. And I thought I had plenty of insurance, but it turned out I did not because there were lots of things that fell under the coverage limits for my homeowner's insurance, like Mm -hmm. having people store what wasn't damaged and treated and all kinds of other stuff. So how the heck do I even know how much coverage I need? Well, that's why you need to have a really good relationship with your agent so you want to ask your agent, if I did have a fire, let's say my house was insured for 700000 what if it came back and it cost 900000 to rebuild? Right. What would happen? You know, that's, that's interesting because um, I am sure the insurance industry is scrambling, you know, just like those of us who shop and go to the grocery store and go to a restaurant and we go, wow, that costs a lot, or small business people who are paying for logistic services and they go, wow, what happened to transportation costs? I'm sure that's driving the insurance industry to scramble a bit. Wow. Things are actually costing more than maybe we were originally insured for. So is that something people need to think about and maybe talk about with their brokers? Yeah. You know, with the home, a lot of these companies are changing as far as the roof most people have replacement costs. And what that is, is they're going to replace whatever you have, the same like kind and quality at today's cost. So let's say you have old furniture and you have a fire. If you have replacement costs on your contents, the insurance company is going to pay for new 
furniture, same right. light kind of quality. For roofs now, if your roof is over 20 years old, a lot of the companies are taking off that replacement cost coverage and giving actual cash value. Ooh, that's nasty. Right, that they're depreciating. So that's a big thing right now in the insurance industry for personal insurance. Wow. Uh That's something to really think about because, um, you know, if it's something you've had for a while, you may not get very much. Well, a lot of times also uh, you get things in the mail and a lot of people don't read it and it's confusing. So call your agent and ask them what it is because they have to alert you if they make changes like that. And usually it's at renewal. So hopefully your agent is reaching out to you every year for a renewal discussion. I'm not sure a lot of agents are as proactive as you suggest. So that comes to a, a very big question. How do you know whether your your broker, your insurance agent is doing a good job for you? And if you're looking for one, what are some of the things you should look for? Well, first of all, are they responsive? You know, where did you get them? Did you get them out of off the internet? Or, you know, the best thing is, is to get a referral. So if you know somebody that has a business and you want your business insured, I would go with somebody that has had a good relationship and, uh, you know, good advice and feels comfortable with that person. That agent should be asking you a lot of questions, especially up front. They should be reaching out to you every year or at least asking because we, you know, a lot of times people we reach out and they don't even, you know, want to get back. Make sure that they are part of your, I'm going to say advisory board. You know, you should, everybody really should have an accountant an attorney and an insurance agent if you're a business uh, owner. And also, are they giving you options? Because again, like I was telling you, we can give you options and you don't want to be insurance poor, but you can always add things on later. Well, you know, in my experience with insurance agents, and maybe it's just kind of human nature, you'll have these great discussions about the nature of what you have and your exposure and your activities when they're writing the coverage and then somehow there's this big disconnect when it comes to changes that happen over time. I don't know whether people think that their insurance brokers just, I don't know, that they've sprinkled magic pixie dust and therefore they're covered no matter how their business changes or their personal life changes, or they feel like somehow they must have ESPN and just know that things are different or they just don't even think about it. So I'm sure you see that as an agent. How do people do a better job of making sure that their broker, that their agent knows what's happening in their, in their world and how certain things might have changed fundamentally even and change the coverage they need or the amount that they need or the type they need substantially since they first sat down and had a discussion? Well, I think the first question you need to ask yourself is, when was the last time you heard from your insurance agent? If you say never, then I would either pick up the phone and talk to them and ask them why, or there's a ton of other agents around and ask your friends or family what they've done, who they like. There are a lot of insurance agents out there, and that's really what we should be doing is reaching out. 
a lot of businesses are doing wearing many hats and not knowing when to call. And a lot of times policies are also based off of sales and payroll. So, you know, what happens if you're growing quickly? Right. But in in some cases, I, I think small business people who are in the startup phase are particularly vulnerable to this. And that is that their whole original idea doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily where they end up sort of taking the direction of the company, you know, a lot of times you start out thinking, well, this is going to be the business model. And before you know it, you're like, well, that wasn't quite as successful. What about this over here? What about that? And, uh, you know, before you know it, they've pretty much changed their business model quite a lot, actually. That's why you have to have a relationship with your agent. And that's why you really want to make sure that that agent reaches out. So maybe you want to have a conversation or interview that agent before you even start with them and ask them, what are their practices? How do they treat their agents, their, their clients? What are, they, what are they going to do for me? What are they going to do for you? Yeah. One thing that we've kind of touched on that I'm not sure we've addressed, what's the difference between a broker and an agent? It's the same thing. We're an independent agent, meaning we're a broker, which means we represent many companies. Again, it's the jargon. And what I tell people is, is when you're getting quotes, ask that agent, how many companies do you have? Because some companies like State Farm and Farmers and American Family, they have one company. Exactly. So I want to ask them, how many people did you shop my insurance with? And so the advantage of doing that is what? Well... If they only have one company, then you're going to have to go and do the work and find another agent to get quotes. If you have an independent agent with many companies, they can shop for you. You know, another thing, too, is you want to make sure that your insurance agent is, I'm going to say, well-versed with your business. So, again, if somebody calls up and says, I have a gas station, does that agent know about gas stations? Same thing, let's say, with cannabis. Um, you're just not going to go to any comp- agents. You want somebody that really knows the cannabis industry. Right. I think that's true for lawyers and any kind of trusted advisors, actually. Uh, that's great advice about. I'm curious how you got into this business and how the insurance business has changed since since you've been in it. Well, I will tell you that it's a family business and I'm the oldest of six children. And I was the one that was stuck, I'm going to say, coming in and filing during high school and college. Oh, wow. And uh, I went to school to become a teacher. And during one of the summers, I worked for my father and he just said, before I went back, why don't you just quit and work for me? Uh-huh. And so I really enjoyed it when I was working the summer because I was being taught more and I really, really liked it. So here I am 37 years later. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Um, How has it changed? The insurance companies are looking at things tougher. A lot of the companies um, are not insuring as much as far as different risks, like companies really don't like habitational or condo associations. And you can kind of see why, you know, they're very selective. They're very selective. Looking into your crystal ball, where do you see the industry changing and how might that affect what small business people expect to pay or look for coverage for? Well, 
right now we're in a hard market, meaning um, if you have a renewal for business, a lot of times don't expect it to go down like it has been, but uh, it's going to go up or stay a little bit flat because these companies with all the different changes in our weather and again, costing a lot more to fix a car for lumber, for anything nowadays, it's going up. So the premiums have to go up because they're paying so much money for claims. Right. Either the premiums go up or the uh, coverage, extent of the coverage probably goes down. So right. look carefully for those kinds of things. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Before I let you go, I want to give people a chance to learn how to get in contact with you. Maybe something you've said today sparked some questions or interest, and maybe they'd like to talk more things insurance, so things more specifically about their business and insurance with you. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? 847-432-1000, or they can go through our website at www dot vtcompanies.com and that's v victor i indian t tom i indian companies.com fantastic well uh anna maria thanks so much for being with me this week it was really a delight having you um very important topic and uh, as i said not necessarily the world's most sexiest but Wow, so important because if you don't have coverage and fate decides that it's your your number comes up, it's important to have people like Anna Maria in your in in your circle of advisors to help make sure that um, you're covered, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, thank so, you very much. Yes, thank you, and thanks to all my listeners. It's the reason I do this show, I appreciate you listening. If you uh, have comments, questions, suggestions, topics you want to hear about, you want to be a guest or you know a great guest, or you just want to shoot the breeze, by all means, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. My email is dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at thesavvyentrepreneur.org. You can find more helpful information and resources on my website for the radio show at www.thesavvyentrepreneur.org. There you can find all sorts of past interviews from the show, as well as blogs, tools, and other free resources. So check it out. Again, www.thesavvyentrepreneur.org. Be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneurial.